Um, my name is Ilana Washington, and I'm calling from sunny Charlotte, North Carolina, and it's about 75 degrees right now, a little after 11 Eastern Standard Time, so I'm enjoying life today. It was so rainy last week. Um, and I think you asked me how I got the idea of starting the book. Yeah, and you were talking about, I remember, I thought it was good that you brought it up because that's one of the one of the main symptoms of, of experiencing trauma, that hypervigilance. And so maybe talk a little bit about, uh, about that. So um, I've always wanted to write the book, and uh, it mostly stemmed from the fact that I was first sexually abused at five, and um, I was sexually abused all the way up through the eighth grade. I'm trying to think of how old you would be. So my son is like, what's that, until 14 or so? Okay, yeah. So, um, because I couldn't fight my abusers and I had all of this inner anger and rage, I've always wanted to write my book and tell my story, um, not just to, you know, to get back at them, or but also to help other people, too. Right. And, and I mean, like I said, I've come to a, like, a place in my own life and also working with other people that I think... To me, I think it's really essential that people like you do talk out in, in public to uh, really to have more collective healing because I think, I think unfortunately, it's, it's a shame anybody has to experience like that type of abuse, but one of the things I think about it that it makes you more sensitive to other injustices in the world, and I think it's, I think that's sort of the, you know, part of the evolution of healing is really trying to do some more activism around it. Yeah. Um, like like you said before, the um, abuse made me hypervigilant. That's what it was. Right. So um, I do kind of have this, you know, I don't want to say superhero complex, but I do find myself trying to stand up for the underdog. Right. Far to the NFL teams too. I always end up rooting for the un underdog. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, and another thing, another question I'd like to ask everybody is, do you have any particular, I mean, if you can, you can't think of one right now, it's all right, to put you on the spot, a quote that you'd say that inspires you? Yeah. Um, the quote that I put in my book, I don't know it offhand, because I have so many words in my head right now, and I don't know who, um, who said it. And it's not coming up. I'm sorry. Give me a few minutes. It'll come. That's all right. Um, so uh, anyway, like, did you? You said you're in Charlotte now. Did you grow up in Charlotte? I grew up in Washington D.C. Um, okay. What what part? Uh, Northwest. My um, my mother had me. Me. My mom and dad were teenagers when they had me. Uh huh. My mother um, was valedictorian of her high school and went to Princeton. Oh wow! And um, when she went to Princeton, my grandmother said, "You go to Princeton. I'll raise your daughter." So I lived in D.C. while she was in while she was in college, and that's when I was first. So when my mother graduated college, she by then had a had another child. So my sister and I moved to Princeton with her, and I was a junior again. Uh, it's a different person? Yes, it, it was, and it was worse. It was like all of the 
middle school to high school boys in the neighborhood. And I didn't find out until about two years ago that they were abusing all of the little girls, all of the elementary school girls. So I wasn't there. And uh, what, um, you know, what happened after that in your, uh, your, your life? Um, I was a mess, you know, a teenage girl already goes through a lot of hormonal changes and, you know, right. problems. So I had that on top of everything else. And um, I was anorexic. I was suicidal. I was angry. I'm realizing that I suffer from depression. But back then I didn't know what it was or what I was going through. I couldn't understand it. And I couldn't express it either. And there was really no one that I could confide in or no one could help me. And uh, so what, I mean, but I think, uh, like you said, even though you had nobody to help you, but what, uh, were you writing a lot then? Uh, what did you do to, I mean, everybody I think does have some way of, of coping on their own. What did you do? Um, I did more reading than writing. Yeah. It had gotten to the point where um, I was reading a book a day. <laughs> so um, my mother, you know, would try to ask me to, you know, go outside and play, but of course I didn't want to go outside because I didn't so I stayed in the house and I read. I read all the time. I read everything. What, what type of stuff were you reading? Um, my favorite was the Nancy Drew series. Okay. And I love the Hardy Boys. And then I got into um, some of the other uh, people. I love the Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> so <laughs> if it was a series, I, I was pretty. I was usually reading it. But more like more fiction kind of stuff. Yes, yes, yes. I, I didn't get into the self-help thing until much, much later in life. Were they doing that back then? I'm 45 years old, so I don't think. Uh, yeah, they were doing it. Uh, I don't. Th yeah, they were. I mean, it's not. It's not. I mean, obviously, it's really uh, blown up and, uh, and evolved since then. But they, yeah, they were doing it. So. so I I had. Oh, I found the quote. Sorry. No problem. It says to heal. First, have to understand. To heal, you first have to know how you got hurt. Look at it without flinching. Accept it. Understand that it happened, but it doesn't have to define who you are or control the rest of your life. So, looking at it without flinching and accepting it—that's probably the hardest part. Yeah, and who who um, who's the uh, the author of the quote? Unknown. Okay, and um, what, um, let's see, what was I, um, yeah, how did, um, did, uh, let's see, what, what uh, like, what other things, um, oh, I mean, did you get in any trouble when you were growing, when this was going on, like? <laughs> <laughs> I got in trouble all the time. Right. <laughs> um, I was promiscuous, and I didn't uh -huh. really understand I understood why. I didn't know how to stop it. And my parents, of course, um, you know, were very, 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 very strict. They were um, Muslim. Oh, really? Yeah, my, my stepdad was Muslim, and my mother married him and eventually converted. So, I don't know. I think it was like maybe 10, 10 degrees more strict than a Catholic family. <laughs> So um, I was promiscuous anyway, but I think 
some of the stuff I did really was a cry for help. Like I wanted them to see me and notice me kind of and get in trouble and ask what was going on. But they never asked what was going on. I just always got in trouble for it. But nobody, when you're getting in trouble, nobody nobody asked you what was going on. Um, but uh, so, how did you? Uh, what, what, when did you get involved with the uh, the dancing? <laughs> and this is this is so crazy. So, you know, my parents, you know, college they instilled like this thirst for knowledge and love of education. And and honestly, if college was free in America, I would still be going to college and just majoring in something else. I love school. I love learning. So, right. I got pregnant at 19, had my daughter at 20 but I was still going to school. I graduated college at 27. Where were you going to school? Um, I went to school in D.C., um, Howard University. Okay. My parents weren't too happy or thrilled about it. They said, How come? They said, when I go to a real college, they'll buy me a computer. <laughs> oh. They were a bit stuck up. <laughs> but, uh... But let me ask you a little bit about the, the you said they were Muslim, and not they were they of like the uh, you know the the Malcolm X type of Muslim no, no, thing. No, no, no. Oh, no, no. Okay, that's what, that's what I initially thought of when they were Muslim. No, 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 no. Okay. So that's that's why I think if they were of that kind of um, persuasion, I would think they would be digging Howard University. But right, no, they. Didn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I graduated Howard in May, but I couldn't find a job, so I couldn't pay my rent. I eventually got an eviction notice on my door, um, and the man I was dating at the time suggested I started dancing, and I was looking at him like he was crazy, like, there's no way I would do something like that. But the eviction notice said I could be evicted from, I don't know, like July 15th to August 27th, something like that. So every day, I would come home from looking for a job or something. I was expecting to see my thing on the side of the um, on the sidewalk. So I got tired of that, and um, he took me to a strip club, which happened to be right up the street from Howard University, and um, I started dancing. And how long? Um, yeah, well, actually, before we go, how long? How, what was that? Uh, what was that like at first when you were? Uh, it was scary. Um, it was, you know, I, I, I tell people, especially on social media, you can't really judge someone, their lifestyle, their opinions, because there are so many subcultures in America. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really familiar with the type of people that went to the strip club. You know, you know what I mean? Right. So, but what was ironic was, I felt more comfortable at the strip club than I did anywhere else because I was so used to men looking at me that way. So when I first got there, it made me nervous. I was scared. Um, I really wasn't a drinker. I had my first drink when I was 21. My girlfriend took me to a bar when I was 21. But once I started dancing, I was feeling at least nice by 4.35 o'clock in the beginning. Um, it was my way of kind of forgetting what I, what I was doing, you know? 
Well, but I imagine also you feel like I would, I would imagine dancing, but like coming from, especially that you're coming from your the background you did and what happened to you, that you feel in a way empowered, that in a way, you know, the strip club as a dancer, you have the power over the men. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes. And, that, and that's one of the lessons I learned too, um, is that for so many years, I was giving my power away. They were taking it from me. And even when I was being promiscuous, I was really just lying back and letting them have their way with me. Right. One of the abusers, when, I don't know, I must have been eight or nine, um, when he was with me, he said, if a, if a boy wanted to have sex with you, you're supposed to let him. And that stuck with me. And so all, all through those years, up until I was dancing, I was basically doing what he told me to do. But once I started dancing, I said, hey, not only can I benefit from this financially, I can flip the tables and get my power back from these men. Right. And I also, I mean, like, it's, I feel it's, it's sort of talked about, like, uh, by some people I've heard that, like, all, like, um, most dancers, have all, uh, it's common that they have a history of sexual abuse, and I was wondering if, what was your experience with that, with working with the working in the, the club with the other girls? Um, since I've been, you know, doing this and speaking, I found a statistic. They say 66% approximately right. sexual abuse in some way. Um, we never really talked about it. Um, until, and this is going to probably sound crazy to most people, but yeah. we had a book club. Well, they uh -huh. had a book club, and they were reading, like, a book a month, and I was asking them about it, and um, they were like, oh, yeah, come on, you can read the next book with us. And I was like, so what's the next book? And um, they were reading, like, books by black authors, and I was kind of unfamiliar with that, you know. Right. My parents. So <laughs> um, they wanted me to read Push by Sapphire. Uh -huh. um, and it, it's a, it was a short book, and when I read it, and oh, the movie Precious was based off that book. So when I read it, I went back to the club, and I was like, why are we reading this? This is disgusting. It's traumatic, and I'm trying to forget this because this is what I went through. And then like, uh -huh. everyone just stopped, and they were like, you didn't know, um, you know, this girl here – her uncle um, raped her so bad as a child, she can't have children. Or this person was raped, or this person was sexually abused. And everyone just started going around and telling their story. And then I remember my girlfriend, we're still really close today, she said, nothing like that ever happened to me. She was one of the uh, first ones to stop dancing in our group. She got married. She kind of settled down. They had kids together. But then she started... She, was crying and she couldn't understand why she was still drinking and, and crying a lot. And she called her mom telling her, and she said, I keep having this nightmare that I, that my gynecologist uh, molested me. And then the mother said, that's what happened. You know, that's something that, that had happened to you. We pressed charges and everything. She had buried that so deep, you know, that she had forgotten about it consciously, but it still led her to dance. I thought that was pretty powerful. Yeah. Um, what about, um, yeah, how was the money with the dancing back then? Well, you know, you, you, you report, you file your taxes. But <laughs> 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 I, 
Um, it's, it's really, really, really good money. That was, I think, that was the main reason why I continued to do it because the money was so good that, and I only worked three days a week. So um, I would say, I think a, a slow week would be about a thousand dollars a week. Right, and this was in what 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 years? Was this? Um, Ninety-seven to two thousand two. Okay. Um, and what was your experience like? What was the uh, the people that like, the management of the club? How did how did they treat you? Um, the very first club I danced in, it was a small little family-run club. I, they were all family-run, and um, they were really nice. They were really polite. They were very respectful. They didn't you know, proposition to girls or anything like that. Um, they were wonderful. And then I ended up working at the most popular club back then. And the owner used to say, it's either here or McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> and it would anger some of the girls because a lot of us, you know, had degrees or we were going to school or they had, you know, some type of hustle about them. So really... We knew we were better than that, but I think he was trying to get into our our heads, some of the other girls' heads, and make them feel like this is all I can do. And that was in D.C. too. Yes. Yeah. But uh, but I feel that's sort of also another stereotype about dancers. That they all they always say that they're going to college. Or is that is that really true? Is how many of them are really going to college? As well? The group of girls that I was with, we were going to college. Um, but there were a lot of girls who danced, so I think we were we were a minority. We were. Yeah. Um, and I'm still amazed now that a lot of those girls dance before the age of 18. They get into right. their life before the age of 18, or that's all they know. That that's um, I know there was a mother and daughter that danced at that club, and I was just blown away that. I don't know, because that, that was... Yeah, I mean, I've heard of that, that it's someone in, like, the, I mean, I'm in the Miami area, that people, like, you know, live, they have fake IDs and, and, you know, do it that way kind of thing, but... Uh, uh, so, how, what, what was your journey? How did you get involved with, like, you know, where, where were you learning about, like, the, like the hypervigilance and, and uh, your, sort of your healing journey, like, after the dancing? How did that come about? Or actually, maybe before that, well, how did you, uh, what made you stop dancing? Um, I had a lot of, I had, I had about two or three close calls. I don't know if they were going to kill me or beat me up badly or, or whatever. And I don't know, sometimes when you're kind of going down that wrong path, you hear that voice that tells you to stop. Right. And as the months went on, that voice got quieter and quieter and quieter. And me realizing that scared me. But I had absolutely no self-esteem, so I didn't think that I could do it on my own. So um, I started dating a guy. Uh, we met in the strip club, but I had known him since middle school. So I thought he would be okay because I've known him, you know, practically all our lives. We, we had separated, you know, for a few years, but we always – we had the same group of friends from middle school and high school. 
So I started seeing him, and it moved really, really fast. And within a year, we got married. I didn't really think about healing then. I was really just trying to, you know, navigate marriage life and kids. I got pregnant almost immediately. I think about six months after I got married, I got pregnant. So uh, we were trying to navigate all of that stuff. It wasn't until we moved to Dallas in 2007 that I started healing. I was having um, anxiety attacks and nervous breakdowns, and I, I, I don't know. I had a lot of stuff that was coming at me, and I realized now that I was living in like a perpetual victim mentality. Like I felt everything was being done to me or to hurt me or because of me. And then he had his own. I had my own issues with him, so I decided to see a counselor. Uh-huh. And um, the counselor really couldn't see me, but she gave me the book, um, Laura Davis, the one. Well, so, why couldn't the counselor see you? Her schedule. It was supposed oh. to be marriage counseling and my husband's schedule. She only had like week, weekdays and weekends. Okay. But, you know, when I spoke to her, you know, she suggested that I read um, The Courage to Heal by Laura Davis. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. And it was a workbook in the in the back of it. So I did the work and then that's when everything, you know, started to make sense for me. Uh and when was that? When did you do that? I'm sorry? What when did that when did you uh yeah, when did you do the workbook and how long ago was that? Um, that was in two thousand seven. Okay. And uh, yeah, one of the things that, that I, I remember this guy actually, I, I was in North Carolina, this guy that I really admire, who he talks a lot about trauma and the connection between health as an adult, a lot of different things. His name is Gabor Mate, and he was speaking in Nashville. One of the things that he, he had talked about, and I've heard other people mention this, I think it's really true, that even like when you have these like people abusing you as a child, even though even though they're doing, they're really the one at fault, not you. But there's something unconsciously that makes you feel like you're broken. You know, you're there's something wrong with you, and like you internalize that. And I was wondering if you that kind of experience uh, relates. To, you know, you connect with that. Yes, that's exactly how I felt all my life. I felt, um, especially being abused by um, different men in two different states. I really thought it was something about me that made men see me like that or how um, before my mom married my stepdad I was raised in a church Um, I had a relationship with my father and his family but when I moved to New Jersey my mother severed that but I always thought that you know how God um, I guess has his chosen people I wasn't one of those people I just figured my life was to be that kind of person, and you know, I wasn't going to have anything better for myself. But but when you uh, did you share this with your mom? What was going on no. when you're growing up? No. My mother and I um, um, didn't have a. She wasn't have a mother I could confide in, and we don't have a relationship now. Oh really? What about uh, your your father? Um, I was reunited with my father after I got married, and I told him the same day <laughs> I met him. I kind of filled him in, and I had no problems telling him. And I think that if I still had a relationship with my father, I would have told my father back then. Yeah, well, how did he respond to it? Um, 
he, you know, of course, he was hurt and angry. You know, he couldn't really do anything. It's over. And um, as the years wore, wore on, I told him I started speaking for Rain, and, you know, there were things that I wanted to do. And he said, I can tell, um, I know what you're supposed to do. I'm just waiting on you to start doing it. Well, he, yeah, like that, that, that's good. He wasn't like, he wasn't the kind of person that was, um, you know, he accepted, he believed what you had to say. It wasn't like he was telling oh. you you were making it up. Yeah. That's good. Uh, what about, are there any, I'm, I imagine there are, are there any groups that, that are like, uh, of people that used to be, you know, used to dance that have experienced sexual abuse or any, like. You know what? No. No? So, no. I know um, there was a woman, she was pretty, she was a pretty outspoken activist, and her Twitter handle is Twitter for Jesus, but uh-huh. she's not really active, uh, Strippers for Jesus, I'm sorry, Okay. really active, <laughs> um, but I don't know of anyone in that particular um, group, and what's ironic is there's a girl I used to dance with, and she's doing the same thing I'm doing. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yes. Where where is she uh, where is she located? She's still in D.C. D.C. Yeah, D.C. I mean, this friend of mine who's um, that I went to uh, high school with for uh, I went to this prep school actually in New Jersey for a little bit, and he's a big sort of black activist, and and he you know he's just told me D.C. D.C. seems to have a lot of people doing a lot of activism, particularly in the black community, mm-hmm. uh, but all all communities like too there, but. Uh, um, what any other uh, any other like uh, methods that you uh, in terms of your healing that were helpful to you besides uh, the workbook uh, and activism? Um, walking, running. There was a time when I was doing um, half marathons. And, oh yeah. Yeah, and mud runs. I love like the Warrior Dash and. Oh yeah, I've done I've done the Warrior Dash and the Spartan race. Yes. It's fun. Yeah. Isn't it? Oh, I'm not. I volunteered for Spartan. I'm supposed to get a free race, but I'm so scared. Oh yeah, no, it's something to be scared of. I mean, uh, but for me, I mean, for me, I, I I like the Warrior Dash better because the um, I felt like it wasn't that much just running like all the obstacles were just bang 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 with the the Spartan race. I think it depends also the setting, but I did it in the Miami area, and part of it was just felt like you were. You're running around in a circle in the woods for a long time. <laughs> I did a really, really, really good one in Anderson, South Carolina. Um, it, it it wasn't, you know, the chain. It was like a little local homey one. Right. They used nature, and it was so fun. I think it was the best one I've ever had. But I think right. um, I'm going to kind of, when I get back into it, gravitate more onto the little local races. And have you ever, I was wondering if you ever connected or heard her story, Tony or Kane? No. Yeah, but she has an amazing story. And is, uh, I, she said that I saw her speak um, about a month ago. And, and uh, yeah, she grew up outside the Maryland area. And uh, she had a really like, traumatic history, prostitution, crack addict. And, uh, but now speaks all around the country. And it's just a really, and, uh, and uh, she's gonna be on. I think that she said she's gonna be on VH1 or or MTV or have her own show. Uh, but she's. I really recommend you check her out. She's a you know, great uh, speaker. How do you spell her name? T O N I E R 
last name Kane, C-A-I-N. Uh, what about what about you? You have one son or multiple? How many kids? Kids you have? I have two. My daughter, two? Um, who I raised through all of that, she yeah. is actually she'll be 25. A oh, 25. Yeah, okay. On the 15th, the day my book is to be released, and um, she's wonderful. Um, the the one thing that I'm adamant about and that I tell everyone is, you know, despite everything that I did or all the mistakes that I made. I am an awesome mom. Like right. they are healthy, and I know them. Like I can look at them and tell if they're off. If they walk through that door, I can tell if they've had a good day or bad day. You know. Right. No, I mean I think I think that's also uh, like part of that hypervigilance. Uh, I mean there there's some studies done that I saw that people that are forget if it was kids or who, who they studied, but basically people that have experienced trauma that they actually showed that they're more, they're more accurate at reading other people's emotions than if you haven't experienced it. But um, she is, uh, she lives in Dallas, Texas. She graduated college uh, with a 3.8. She has nice. no children. <laughs> She's single. Uh, she works for a Fortune 100 in the corporate um, office, and she's bilingual. Uh, what, what's, what's the other language she speaks? What about your, uh, just the one daughter? I thought you said you had um, another one. I have a daughter, and my son is 12. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. How's he doing? He's wonderful. He could be better. He, he's a genius, yeah. but he's a boy. So yeah. <laughs> he'd rather go outside and play basketball. Uh-huh. And what does he, uh, does he know about the, the whole story and everything? Oh, man, let me tell you. I'm so embarrassed. So... <laughs> I've always been, um, you know, very upfront and direct with my children, especially, you know, if they tell, if they tell me someone makes them feel uncomfortable, you know, no touch, good touch, all of that stuff. So yeah. they knew that they knew that. So once I started with the book, I sat him down, and um, he didn't know that I was ever a stripper. He actually thought my daughter was her, was his father and her father as well. So I kind of had to, like, explain everything to him. But he understood. He was okay. He's so, you know, like the, the water off a duck's back. So I told him, you know, Mom is going to write this book, and I'm going to talk about being a stripper. Um, are you ready for that? I said, your friends may tease you. And he was like, my friends already know. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> said, yeah, I told him at lunch that you were a stripper and you were depressed, but you're better now. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, and then they, and then, well, how did his friends take to that? <laughs> they're, they're fine. They don't yeah, well. um, look at me crazy or look at me funny or anything. They just, you know, call me Miss Washington and ask for something to eat, ask for water, and they leave the house. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's something ultimately, I think it's really relevant to trauma, and ultimately it's, you know, people are often so afraid to share these types of secrets or things, but it's, it, to me it really creates much more problems when you hold it inside, it's much more oppressive, and, and people actually act, treat you worse when you don't, you're not open with it, I, 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 in a lot of ways, it's my, my belief. <laughs> yeah, and then I, I think a lot of people are so scared, and I am too, um, you know, I felt comfortable sharing my story 
when I was speaking with Rain because I was talking to other survivors or people right. who understood it, but sharing my story with the world where, you know, I'm judged and, and people may not get it, it, it scares me. So I understand why they're doing it, but I'm doing it, like, I feel like I have to do it because people have to start talking about this. Right. continue to happen to the next generation. Yeah, and, and I feel that ultimately, I mean, there's a lot of value of doing the therapy and talking to people in private, but I feel the word doesn't get out to, to the masses that we won't be able to move forward in a better way as a culture and as a collective. Um, oh, yeah, related to Rain. Where is Rain located? Where, where's their head? Washington, D.C. <laughs> oh, D.C. Everything. And uh, how long have you been involved with them for? Uh, since 2011, so five years. And uh, what, uh, you speak all over, all over the country with them? or, or uh... No, I speak locally. Locally, okay. And you're, uh, you've had a, I mean, it sounds like you have a good experience through, through the, uh, the organization. Yes, I, I love them. And, um, you know, they're doing a lot of wonderful things. They started, they also um, added, a section for men. I don't think they had that when they first started. Oh, really? Yes. And then um, they started something with uh, females in the military because rape is prominent in the military. Right. Yeah, I've heard of the organization Male Survivor. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of that yes. one? Yes, I follow them on Twitter. Yeah. Um, I forget her first name now. I, I mean, I can look it up later after we later. But her name, last name is Jensen. She's a big... Uh, uh, advocate of uh, sexual abuse. Uh, her, she was married to this former pro professional tennis player. Forget her first name, Jensen. You don't know who she, you don't know where she is now? Um, it's kind of weird for me, but since I've been divorced, I've, you know, met different men and talked to them. Some of them I dated, some of them were just friends. And um, they know my story, and then they just open up and tell me what's happened to them. And right. I'm amazed that it's so many men, you know, that are that are going through this. And of course they're never ever gonna, you know, speak out. But I see the symptoms of them suffering from it. Right. The low self esteem, the promiscuity, you know. Yeah, actually, related to that, I mean, you mentioned the self-esteem thing, and I, I think it's a theme in people that have experienced any type of abuse, not just sexual, the whole, um, this idea that you sort of play small in the world, that you don't really try to, you know, reach for where you really want to, the, you know, the reach for the stars, that you just sort of settle, and you don't, and you, would, that, would you connect with that experience? Uh, I'm currently connecting with that experience. Yeah. God is like, you're not going to settle. <laughs> I'm fine <laughs> just to settle, have a nice little yeah. quiet life, but he doesn't want me to do that. So. What about the, uh, you mentioned the hashtag 10 lessons. What, where, did that, uh, where did that come from? Yeah, I was going to, um, I started that hashtag so when I start speaking with people about the book and things, they can just, um, uh, reach out to me that way, so I can kind of track it. No, no, I, no, that I understand. But where? Um, so, what are the ten lessons? Of the I know all ten of them right now. <laughs> maybe three, two, <laughs> two, two lessons. Um, let's see. I learned to own my power. We talked about that, and 
Um, men love the chase. Right, that's, that's true. Would you say, would you agree with that? That's true? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's an like a... I think it's an evolutionary thing. I mean, this, this joke, I don't know where it originally comes from, but, it, but I think it's so true that basically you put men in a room with two women, one that is, um, they're, they're like equal looks, equal everything, but one, one you know, doesn't want to give uh, the guy the time of the day, but the other one is smothering the guy. The guy is always going to go for the one that doesn't give him the time of day. <laughs> um, I also write for Digital Romance, and... I've been reading their articles too, and they're saying that too. Yeah, so, so true. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll give you more than two or three. Let's see. Um, being a stripper doesn't make you a hoe, and I <laughs> hate that word. Um, right. And my my argument is, you know, I guess hoe is being promiscuous, but a lot of the dancers weren't promiscuous, uh-huh. and. Um, they realized that if they slept with everyone, those guys would get bored with them, you know, and move on to the next chase. So you can't really be out there like that and make money. Um, oh, this is something I think is important, especially, you know, for me being being married and having a lot of married friends. I, I call it, it's lesson six. It's, um, it says, your man misses the old you. And... <clears throat> I talk about how a lot of men come to the club. Women get the assumption that they come to try to proposition girls and have sex, and that's not the case. Most of the time, well, all of the time, we're like the bartender. We're listening to their stories, their problems, and everything. So when I was dancing, I heard a lot. Um, Men used to tell me, oh, you reminded me, you remind me of my wife 25 years ago. Or you remind me, you know, of this girl I knew back then. Like, they were kind of, like, nostalgic about it. And as I talked to them, you know, they would say how not just that their wife put on weight, but more to the effect that, you know, she's angry all the time or she doesn't pay me any attention. You know, you just kind of, like, you kind of lose your way. So um, I, I discussed that as well. Yeah, but now that I'm thinking about it, that I forgot. Like in my experience of, of being at a strip club as a guy, that that, that uh, I was wondering if, if you relate to this, if you're in your own work doing it, that that I feel that some of the strippers they adopt this kind of like they put on, they try to, you know, they act in a certain role. It's not really, they, they it's a performance, mm-hmm. and they don't really act like a regular human being almost. Mm-hmm. It's just I was wondering if you, that if you relate to that experience. Um, yeah, I guess sometimes I I put up um a wall. Yeah. Like, when I was on the stage or if I was walking around or talking to them, I was yeah. a lot tougher. Um I have a very slick mouth, so I could talk to <laughs> the best of them, you know. Um and I kind of sold the dream verbally as well, you know. Right. But when I would go upstairs, they'd be like, ugh, I'm so tired of these people, you know. Like, I can't wait to go home and, you know, put on some, you know, big pajamas and, you know, eat ice cream right. or something. But but downstairs, <laughs> you're like, oh, yes, I can't wait to talk to you later, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I think I interrupted you a little bit. I just... Oh, uh, uh, um...
Oh, I was also wondering, did you ever go to any of the, I mean, in Florida, like the Miami area, the strip clubs are like, I mean, I, I grew up in the Philly area, and I, I feel like it's a really different culturally how the, how, I don't know, how the culture embraces uh, adult entertainment, or, but in South Florida, it's just everywhere, and it's, um, that's what I was saying about it, that it's, um, yeah, I was wondering what, what, what your thoughts on it, if, you, if you'd be pro more having like, uh, the way they do it in like Amsterdam, having red light districts rather than just uh, the way they do it here. <laughs> um, I don't really know. Now I now I danced in Florida as well, so I know it's a lot more accepted, and I know with this yeah. whole rap music thing, a lot of girls think that it's you know cool or fun or something, or they use it as a stepping stone. <laughs> or not even just that. I mean, I feel it's like. Um, Maybe it's also changed there, but like, just at least my experience, like in, in Philly, like, I think it's changed a little bit, but years ago, it was more like, it was sort of like people that were doing were being deviant and naughty, where like in South Florida, it's just sort of part of the culture and it's entertainment and, you know, like it seems like everybody goes to strip club. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't know what. I've always wanted to go to Amsterdam, but I think the red light district thing might be a good idea. But this is America, so it's probably not going to happen. No, but I, I think in the sense of my perspective, that rather just having them like just scattered in, in different areas, yeah, like yeah. more having it in one area for us, I, just that part of it. Yeah, I agree. I, I yeah. could see that. I, I wouldn't even know how to begin proposing that, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's another story. But, uh. Um, oh. Where where did you dance in Florida? I don't even know if it's open anymore. It was called the Rolex. It was huge. It looked like it was maybe once a warehouse. It was enormous. And then I danced at a small club. Um, I heard that um, the rapper Trina danced at. So oh, yeah. um, Trina was like old school, like back in the 90s. Oh, I know. She's real, real naughty and dirty. I know, I know she <laughs> Talking about the slick mouth. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I don't remember the name though. Okay. I mean, like you know, I've have you ever heard of it? It's just crazy how, I mean, how big it is that they're actually trained. It's like uh, I think they own, they own other clubs. It's called Rick's Cabaret. They're actually like a new in the New York Stock Exchange Tootsie's in Miami. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> But any uh, any final thoughts you might want to say? Uh, um, I just want to say, if you have been a victim of trauma, to get help. Um, you may not realize it. You may have hardened yourself thinking that um, you're okay or you can handle this, but it's coming out in other ways and you're using it as a defense mechanism. If you're not a victim of trauma, I ask that you kind of think outside of yourself and show compassion. Um, some of these girls, you know, who are prostitutes or these young girls who are promiscuous, they're going through something. They, might, they, they may not necessarily have been abused, but um, I know family issues result in promiscuity. And um, there are some other reasons why, you know, girls act fast. So instead of, you know, labeling someone a hoe, just try to 
if you can, get to know them and figure out where their problem lies and see if you can help them from that. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the big, uh, like, I feel it's like the mantra of the whole trauma-informed movement that it's it's not what's wrong with you, it's what happened to you. Try to understand where people are, what happened to them. Get to know them, like you said. Um, yeah, just one thing I was going to say, I, I love, it was my first time being in North Carolina in Asheville. I really loved it there. Have you been out there in Asheville? I haven't yet, but I saw your pictures and I yeah, loved you, them. I was like, I gotta go. You gotta go. It's, it's just a really, felt a really, really healing place and everybody's just very um, open-minded and there's so much cool art there that's happening. I, 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 did you um, stay in a cabin or did you stay in a town? No, I stayed in the town at the, in the main, yeah, I just was visiting. I actually, the way I went there is I connected with this um, person who does marketing for this uh, wilderness therapy program. There's two different ones I went to. One was for adolescents, like, or even younger, from 10 to 17. The other one's for adults that are 18 to 30. And they're, both of them are in different areas, about a half hour to 40 minutes outside Asheville. Okay. And you spoke there. Uh, no, it was more just uh, networking with the people there, but uh, I can let you know about it. Um, I can put you in touch with one of the, the person that I know there, and they're, they're going to be doing this conference about substance abuse uh, in August, if you're, if you're interested. Sure. In yeah, we'll yeah. All right, well, thanks a lot, uh, Lona. It was, it was a pleasure talking to you. Too. See you. All right, bye.